Listeners are advised, this podcast contains coarse language, themes of an adult nature, and inappropriate thoughts about boy bands. And inappropriate thoughts by boy bands, motherfucker. Okay, hi. Hello. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. Amy Zoe Linkson. Let's just do the fake phone today thing. Should we talk over each other for the whole thing? (laughs) Yeah, let's. Okay, good. And then we can can put the podcast up in two split tracks and they have to play one through their car radio and one through their mobile phone and see if they can sync them up and mm. have it make sense. Yeah. Do you know, I've read a book once where on the left-hand pages was one story and on the right-hand pages was a second story and you could either read all the left-hand pages first and then read all the right-hand pages or you could try and remember two stories as you went. And because I like a challenge, I did the latter. Oh. Anyway, this is the podcast I'm with the boy yeah. band. Yeah, we are charting week by week to find out who is the ultimate boy band we're using our newly created science, which is called Boy Bandology. And Amy and I, sorry, I am Zoe, and this is my co-host, Amy. Amy, hello. And we are the world's first boy bandologists. Mm, and only. Yeah, first and only boy bandologists. So don't we come at us telling you, us you're a boy bandologist. Right, oh don't God, come am I drunk? <laughs> don't come at us telling us the Beatles aren't a boy band. Oh, we for fuck's fuck sake. Right, okay, we need to talk about this. Okay. Donnie Wahlberg. I'm not even doing it, dude. I'm not. We had a row. Yeah. Not going to lie. Like proper full on fucking row over it. Yeah. The Beatles are a boy band, guys. We've already stated our position on this. Yeah. Uh, multiple I just go times. back through and read my tweets? Uh, sure, I mean, why not? <laughs> Do you need time to find them? Shall I fill everyone in on... Uh... Yeah, you, you catch up on it and I'll go and find my tweets. So we basically declared the Beatles as a boy band last year. We had a conversation with James Bourne from Busted about it. We spoke amongst ourselves about it. We decided when we were looking at what constitutes a boy band, Why is it, what is it about a boy band that makes a boy band? Because... When you say boy band, you conjure up images of five boys in white suits doing dance routines, which obviously bands like Busted, Hanson, McFly are not. But we figured that they appealed to the correct market. They were marketed at teenagers and they they generated the hysteria that was first seen during Beatlemania. Yeah, so I mean, there's been some hysteria before around Elvis. Elvis not a boy himself, band. Not a boy band. Correct. But there had been hysteria, and uh, we always take issue with the fact that people belittle boy bands or anything that girls like because it's girls liking it. Like our opinions don't matter. Yep. We can't have valid judgment. Yep. It's just our hormones will all grow out of it. Amy and I are here as representation of the fact no, we don't fucking grow out of it. No. Seriously, and it and you don't have to go out. You don't of it. have no, to. You, there's nothing wrong with like like being our age and liking a boy band. So here were my tweets in response to the fact that everyone went in on me for saying for telling Donnie Wahlberg that he was wrong that the Beatles aren't a boy band. Mm. Um, here's the thing, and we talk about this quite often on the boy band pod. Grown men don't get to decide what's a boy band and what isn't. If it was easy as men deciding this is the thing that little girls will spend their money on, then we wouldn't have 250 plus boy bands to cover on the podcast, most of whom you've never heard of or don't remember. Because if men knew what it was that made a successful boy band, all 250 of them would have been a hit and the record execs would be counting endless little piles of cash. But the one factor they can't predict or dictate is what girls like and want. 
And as much as they go generation after generation inventing new groups so they get our pocket money, most of them don't work because it's what's in the heart and dreams of a little girl that makes it the way the way it was young female record buyer that made the Beatles a phenomenon. And they don't get to dismiss the part we play in a group's success at a later date because it's uncool for them or that's no longer their image. Especially not when some old man in the marketing department targeted their act at us to get them off the ground in the first place. Yep. Ran over. Let's go on. Well, this I've got a um, an go interesting on. article I found this week that I sent to our email address so that we would have it because I had a feeling this might come up and it's um, on a website called theshortlisted.co.uk and it's called dedicated to my fellow 1990s take that screaming fans so it's about an Italian fan who loved take that and when the song babe came out she was um, aged 11 she was trying to translate the lyrics because she didn't speak English and she took it to her English teacher who said that um, it wasn't included in the syllabus and basically it was a woman, the English teacher couldn't translate the sentence that said where have you been because the past tense didn't make sense to any of them apparently anyway so she talks about how much she loved them, how much she queued for them in the 90s to go and see them etc so she says, following a boy band in your teenage years is nothing but educational for you. And it's something that will shape your personality. Not being afraid to face gorillas just to throw a teddy bear at your personal Gary Barlow means that you won't hesitate to take risks in life. Tepid feelings have never encountered burning passions and hearts are made for yearning. This is why you may enjoy a lot of different music, but you'll eventually find your purpose only between the Beatles, Bob Dylan, Pink Floyd, Queen, Madonna, U2, R.E.M., David Bowie and all the other eternally magnificent ones I forgot to mention. And by singing your heart out, you'll suddenly remember that you do have a heart. What would you do for love should be a compulsory question in every date or job interview, because at the end of the day, authentic cravings, not mere hobbies, are what define us what define us don't ever let that sparkle fade away and can i just say that's written by someone who english is not their first language yes her name that's is written Sylvia. by someone uh, let me just find her name written by someone who learned english listening to boy band songs yes yes i can't see what her full name is it says sylvia she's a founder and editor of the shortlisted by the looks of it. Yeah, she is. Sylvia. So there we go. She's just articulated once again how important and how legitimate boy bands are in young girls' lives. Yes. Hooray. Okay. Other boy band news. (laughs) Other boy band news. Uh, Simon and Anthony from Blue got knocked off Celebrity Coach. Oh, no, did they? Yeah, they were the first ones voted off. Everyone had a yellow card apart from one set and everyone had agreed that they'd all yellow card that couple. Right. And they didn't. Oh, dear. And in Simon, because they were feared they were struggling with the heat. Oh, no, I lie. Actually, Rusty Lee was the first one voted off because she was old and struggling with the heat. And then Simon and Anthony next off because they were the next old. So sad. I tried really hard to um, watch it and I couldn't. I just couldn't. I'm not not going to lie. I didn't sit wrapped watching it. It yeah. would. I I'd watch Hollyoaks. It would be on after Hollyoaks. <laughs> In the background. So I'd, I'd be doing other stuff. 
Yeah. Uh, but still on uh, celebrity reality TV boy band news, Celebrity Come Dine With Me is about to start. Starts on Monday, the 27th of January. And in the lineup is the one, the only five. Well, not five, abs. Oh, that's five. right. Yeah, seen the advert for it. <laughs> I, I want to know if you were on Celebrity or oh, Stephen Plain, Come Dine With Me, what would you cook? What would be your meal? Are you asking me? Mm. I mean, I can't cook, so I would get someone else in to cook, or what would you I would order out. Huh? You can't do that. That's not the point. The point is that you you either buy in and pretend that you've cooked it, mm. or you cook it yourself. So you could do like omelette and chips, right? Because I would do. I'm not sure about a starter. I definitely do sausage and mash, and then I'd do uh, apple pie and custard. Okay, well, I can't cook, so I wouldn't do nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> People would go hungry. Your um, celebrity come dine with me uh, for dieters. Yes. Um, okay. The next bit of news, the Backstreet Boys have been auctioning off VIP meet and greets in Australia to raise money for the bushfire relief. This is very um, worthy, yeah. incredibly worthy cause, but you can buy them. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say, but it is an incredibly worthy cause. Yeah, very. anyone has any little bit of money they can give to, you know, animal shelters, people that have lost everything, anything. And don't be. Um, I know a lot of people are making things and sending them over. I've seen a couple of articles with people that that run the animal centres that are kind of like, it's great. We really, really thank you, but we've now got too much of that stuff. We don't yeah. quite know what to do with it. What we actually need is money so we can go out and buy animal feed and water bottles and cages and, and places to yes. look after them we don't and know, also so. the um the charity that's getting the most attention is actually uh the new south wales um charity and they've got fires burning in almost all states so uh, all the states need donations yeah. places like you know the red cross um there was the one who's the comedian that does the celeste um, barber Yes, yeah, so Celeste Barber has a link to a GoFundMe. Yeah, that's for the that's New South raising... Wales one. I, I suspect okay. that they're they're sharing, they're splitting it out. But there was also a wonderful video of US firefighters arriving in Australia to help tackle the blazes, and everyone at the airport gave them a round of applause as they arrived. So, yeah, yeah good stuff's yeah. happening over Throw there. Throw your money at them. Throw back... your money at them this week, not us. Back to boy uh, bad back news. Back to boy bad news. Joey Fatou doesn't think NC and I'll say it again. Joey Fatone doesn't think. Think it's because it's got the word think think and then, Yeah, I can't <laughs> fucking do it. Doesn't think NSYNC are mentally ready for a reunion yet. Well, no, because they would have to tolerate all of the NSYNC fans that are desperate for them to come back, screaming in their faces. Yeah, he was speaking to um, Billboard's Pop Shop podcast. He said, uh, "We started getting phone calls, of course." Um, there were offers thrown on the table, but the whole thing was, I don't think we're ready for it yet. I don't even think, even at the moment, like to really mentally wrap our head around to see what we want to do and think that's the conversation that we really want to have. What he's basically saying is that, they, that they've not sat down and discussed it. Um, and because of that, no one even knows what it is. But people are saying, are you going to do it? But they haven't established what it is yet. So yeah. like they're not. They're not there. They're not in that space. So we're still we're still shipping the NSYNC reunion, four or five. We don't care. I mean, and we we'll don't always care, we don't, be shipping we, that. We don't care which one's missing either. 
no <laughs> we don't <laughs> this doesn't make a difference yeah. if it's four of them without any of them it's fine but they need to be in the right place because we've seen people come back and reunite as boy bands when there are members that aren't fully committed to it or fully behind it and either half arse it or find that you know a few years down the line that actually this still isn't for me and then have to take you know step out of it again so it's you really want your boy band to be committed to the cause of course right okay any more um it's gary's birthday today i told you to save that one to last i, I know, know but i thought it might lead into the next it was, bit it was gary's birthday on monday this is going out on friday <laughs> gary how's well, how how well is uh, gary barlow barlowing he is barlowing exceptionally well he's 49 as of has the 20th mo- of January, he's got has one he moved year. out of his um, brown face? No, still in the brown face. Actually, <laughs> he was glimpsed in black the other day, which was astonishingly oh. exciting. But he's black. still in the brown black. phase. Black is the new brown. Yeah. He's also going to start... Um, bought himself a boat or something. Tell me more. Yeah, he's, he's um, basically got a new job as a cruise ship singer. <laughs> Him, were... Jay McDonald. Oh my God, I wish I was lying as well. But yeah, he... Um, yeah. So he's so been appointed. He's been appointed brand ambassador for P&O Cruises. So I've got a lot of thoughts on this, some of which okay. I can't so, say. But so I've I've looked into it a little bit. So I know he's going to be at the the launch of the Iona. So it's a brand new ship, isn't it? The Iona. Yeah. And there's a big the Iona festival where they do a launch. Now I think all the press releases have been worded really carefully. Mm. So although it says he'll be at the launch, it doesn't say he'll be on that maiden voyage. So he's confirmed that there's a confirmation he's going to be on two, two of the cruises. I think one is going on the 7th of August and the other one's on the 20th of something. But I just... Okay, because I found everything worded very carefully that none of it actually said he is going to be on the boat performing. Mm. I thought it was very carefully worded to say he's a musical director. So it's basically like... Um, I write the songs type thing. He reckons that he's going to be picking the playlists for the class. So, yeah, I I know I knew about this ship last year when I had a meeting with the group. So I have to be careful what I say as well. But okay, um, yeah. So he's reckons he's putting the playlists together, but I don't see how that's going to happen. And as somebody who's recently booked somebody onto a cruise ship for this group. I can't imagine that he's going to be handpicking the artists or that I'm going to be calling Gary to get the artists booked. <laughs> it's <laughs> just all a bit like, hmm, are you there? He's a figurehead. He's the face of, isn't he? It's love like, to know how know, much he's getting paid for it. Yeah, it's worth though. There was a lot of excitement around it. I would imagine they've sold a lot of more cabins on there, mm. on at least those two voyages that he's confirmed. Well, this is on. it, you see. This is why Gary Barlow is a massive win for them, is because he appeals to more than just the boy band collective. Yeah. So this is not aimed at Take That fans or Gary Barlow fans. This is aimed at a broader market. So the fans that are going, oh, this is outrageous because we can't all afford to go on a cruise. It's like, it's not for you. It's for... The, the... Oh, and trust me. So we're eleven years into new. So they're about new kids. Well, this April will go on cruise number eleven. Right. So anyone that looked at the first one and went, "That's really not fair. I can't afford to go on a cruise." Has had eleven. In fact, more than eleven years <laughs> to save up for their cruise. If you'd put 
$10 aside every month for those 11 years, yeah. you'd have more than enough money to buy your cruise. Uh-huh. So for a lot of people, it's just a, I have to complain about something. Yeah. And it's well, going to be that you're not catering to my the, needs. The difference Go. being that Gary would very much just be, because he's going to be on board, they're going to be charging £25 for people to attend the theatre show that he performs at, basically. Mm. So, but that's fine. And But you're not guaranteed a ticket because obviously there are thousands on the ship and the theatre probably only holds, you know, up to a thousand, right? So... I think that's the thing. But I've had a lot of questions this week from Take That fans about the New Kids Cruise and saying, well, what happens on the New Kids Cruise? And I'm like, oh, it's four nights or five days, I think. And they're on the boat the whole time. And then they have these parties and theme nights and game shows. And they have a meet and greet every day and photo opportunities. And you never know when you might bump into someone on the ship and blah, 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 blah. And and the answer I get, the response I get back is, yeah, I'd probably pay for that so it's really funny how people go oh it sounds horrendous and then when you go oh is it better than what our boy band's doing and you're like yeah it is actually (laughs) yeah the practicalities of it are that they break it down into so that they do two of everything because Mm. that theater is not big enough to fit the entire ship so they sell enough cabins or they sell enough spots on the boat to fill the theatre twice. Right. So I think the theatre holds 1,500 people. Okay. So, in fact, it might be less than that. So, they can, so say, for example, the theatre holds 1,500 people. They can only sell 3,000 spots because they have to be able to fit everyone in the theatre. Yeah. What they've done this year for the first time is they've sold out the cabins and gone, okay, that's the theatre's capacity for, like, you know, two shows, a repeat of each show. Mm. And then they've gone, well, how many cabins have we got left? That that are now that are still empty because we couldn't fit them in the theatre. Yeah, and they've then sold them as a you can come on the cruise, but you don't get the shows. Right, and that and that obviously those tickets are cheaper, but they're they're being slightly more savvy about it now. I think that's going to lead to a lot of fighting. <laughs> it's going to backfire. <laughs> well, what happens is you go through your day, so you have you you get up, you do all your own shit during the day. Sometimes you'll have your photo op during the day, which you know can take four or five hours of lining up to go through it. Yeah, for your five seconds with new kids on the yeah. block. Yeah. And then so then you'll have dinner and then you'll maybe have a show. So um it's group A and group B. So one night group A will have a show, they'll have their concert. So while they're in their concert, everyone in group B is up on the Lido deck getting their spot for the late night party. Yeah. So you go up there, there's nowhere to stand. Um, and then vice versa, the next night, so when Group B have their show, everyone mm. in Group A will be up getting the spot. Some of us don't do that, some of us don't give a shit where we stand. Um, but what's now is going to happen, you've got this whole group of people who don't have any theatre shows at any point whatsoever, who are literally just going to live at the front of the stage right. on Lido to get their spot for the late night shows. Or... You're going to get them trying trying to get into the theatre yes. when they don't have a wristband for it. Yes. And I think it's going to lead to fight and also problems at the door. Yes. So you've got a thousand people behind you waiting to get into the theatre for their show, which starts in 10 minutes. And you're at the front arguing that, I know you have got a wristband, you've just lost it. You should be allowed in. Yeah. So it'll be fun. Yeah, it sounds like it. How many weeks till <laughs> that happens? Um, I think it's somewhere like 16, 17. We've got a theme. We're giving our themes at the weekend. Okay. So 1am 1, 1 in the morning, they sent out the email with all the themes. Is for that the, UK um, time? Yeah, 1am UK time. <laughs> what are the themes? They are it's really annoyingly. They've broken it down by decades. They've got some good themes. Yeah. But then they've thrown into the theme a decade. So night one is, so it's the 2020 cruise. So night one is um, 1920s. Roaring it's, um, 20s. The roaring 20s, yeah. yeah. 
fine. Uh, night two, I think, is... Don't um, tell me. M- is it the World War Two thirties? No. Oh. So it's MTV. It's, so it's MTV night, which is great because I for ages been saying to him, please do a music night. I've got this great idea. In fact, I've got several ideas for yeah um, costumes based around song titles. For example, if you wanted to dress as like a virgin, mm. like this is a song I'm going to pick. I'm going to dress as the record like a virgin. You'd go as a nun. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I've got loads of those, and I've been saying to them, "Yes, please do a music." They did movie night. They did TV night, and everyone played. And I was like, "Please do music night." They're doing music night, but it's the nineties. Oh. So it's MTV stroke nineties night, and I'm like, "The fuck!" So you've literally, so you've taken all my ideas and you've narrowed it down to just. Like a 10 so what you're like saying 10... is that all your ideas are from the 80s because that's yeah. when <laughs> when the best songs are <laughs> i had some really good ones anyway so then there's a glitter night which is great they've done glow night before where everyone goes mm. and stuff that glows in the dark and people like light themselves up and um so they've had glow night this year it's glitter night so it's like you know get all your glitteriest sparkliest really stand out from the crowd mm. think rupaul think you know disco but it's glitter 2000s right so you've then got to think of a theme that fits that decade and glitter it up and i'm kind of like well the theme i had an idea for that i knew, knew would fit into glitter night when i heard it was going to be that i got told a couple of months ago i was like oh we can make this theme work for this now it doesn't oh. so you know and then the last one oh gps at the last night on every ship is always gps night mm. GPS and they put a decade in that, so it's GPS eighties. What? What? Right? What? Make sense. That doesn't yeah. make any sense. GPS didn't no. exist then. No. Right? They in fact they even said that in the email. Let's take it back to when there wasn't GPS before there was GPS. So what, what? does that even mean? So GPS is about dressing, representing where you're from. Yeah. It's like, so it's. So for me, for example, you'd have to do London, London in the eighties. London in the eighties, so it would be punk. Mm. Maybe, mm. yeah. Okay. Anyway, that's my boy band news. Anyway, so that's we haven't got any more boy band news, have we? Other than moaning about our boy bands being on boats. Yeah, no. Jonas Brothers is coming up very soon. Yes, did you see the new Jonas Brothers video? Uh, I've seen bits of it. What actually. a man got to do. It's really good. I haven't seen all of it, it, but yeah, yeah, I've had I've had the, really uh, the they've email. got the they've got the Jonas wifeys in it again, which yeah, makes I saw me that. happy. The Jonas makes sisters. Me... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> makes me really happy. Okay, so that's it. We're going to be back right after this with our boy band of the week. Who this week? Who is it, Amy? It's handsome. We'll be back join right in, after join this. Join in. Bye. <laughs> So, boy band of the week. Yes. It's been a while since this has happened. Yeah, well, start of December. So, yeah, okay. It's, it's yeah. been a chunk of a while. But in our defence, we did do 72 boy bands that week. So That is true. That, that is true. Us, really, we've got some in hand now to keep us going through till about April. Exactly. So what we're saying is our next episode after we've done this can just be us talking about, you know, our weight and getting cut out of our houses like we did last (laughs) week and all that sort of really important stuff. (laughs) So this story begins in Tulsa, Oklahoma, United States of America 
on the 17th of November 1980 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a baby boy was born. Oh. His parents named him Clark Isaac. Oh. Clark was the first I child. That was after the Griswolds. After the what, sorry? Clark Griswold. From National, from National, National Lampoon. Lampoon. I mean, it's possible. It was the 70s and 80s, all that, wasn't it? Yeah, so... I'm going to go with yes. Okay, great. So Clark was the first child to parents Walker and Diana, and he was followed on the 14th of March 1983 by a brother, Jordan Taylor, and on the 22nd of October 1985 by another brother, Zachary Walker. Now, Clark, Jordan and Zachary followed the tradition of large religious families whose progeny become boy bands. We're looking at you, (laughs) Paul, Kevin and Denise Jonas. And both Clark and Jordan were known by their middle names, Isaac and Taylor, while Zachary unshockingly shortened his to Zach. So it will surprise no one at this stage to learn their surname was Hanson. There are four further Hanson siblings. So no bonus Jonas in this scenario. We've got um, oh, we've got a handsome foursome. It's not quite the same. So Jessica was born in 1988. Avery was born in 1990. Joshua Mackenzie was born in 1994, and Zoe was born in 1998. Okay. So seven, seven Hansons. No TV. <laughs> Walker and Diana had met at Nathan Lane High School in Tulsa. Sorry, not Nathan Lane. Nathan Hale High School. (laughs) (laughs) And they were both involved in music and arts. So basically, I think what we're saying here is that they were theatre nerds. Um, They were in a high school production of The King and I. Diana played Anna while Walker played The King. They also went to college together. I'm uh, going was... to picture Walker and Diana as um, uh, high school. Who were the two leads in High School Musical? Um, Zac Efron and Vanessa Hudgens. Yes, that's how I'm imagining cool. them. Carry on. Okay, cool. Have you seen Hanson? They're all blonde. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Diana was a music major in college. So there was music, obviously flowing through this family's veins uh the they got married at 19 years old which was in 1972 uh that was their freshman year at the university of oklahoma so they got they, married in 72 but they didn't start having babies till the 80s 1980 oh yeah i think that's i don't think that's that abnormal I think it's quite normal for people to get married, spend some time together as a married couple, just enjoying life, and then have children. What's with this rush to have children? But then if you're getting married at 19, it's normally so that you can be together and have lots of sex. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying that that's what Walker and Diana were up to. No, 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 but... But what we're saying here is they're obviously very fertile. They've got seven fucking children. So they managed to not have children for eight years together. So that was, you know, they were responsible. So she was still, you know, if she was doing uh, masters, whatever their equivalent was. So you carry on with the story. I will. They joined a gospel group called The Horizons, uh, which went on to perform at churches across the country. After that, Walker got a job as an accountant for an oil drilling firm. Oh, big money. In the late 1980s, Walker's job took the family overseas. 
The children were homeschooled, which allowed the family to travel, and they spent the following year in South America. They lived in a compound, which sounds dodgy, but it's not. It's like when you go to the... Colty. No, it's not, though, because when you go to the... Jonestown. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not... It's like um, when you go to the Middle East and you live somewhere like Abu Dhabi or wherever, they have compounds which are basically, they're gated communities. So, yes, they lived in a a compound, which I believe was run by the company that Walker worked for. Um, And at that time, they wouldn't have had televisions in there and probably wouldn't have been able to understand the radio because of the language difference. So they went out and picked up some compilation CDs or records or tapes of 50s and 60s rock and roll. So soon they were out in places like Venezuela, Trinidad, Ecuador, and at night Walker would take out his guitar and play songs for the family. And of course, the three sons always joined in. So the brothers soon fell in love with classics such as Rockin' Robin and Splish Splash and memorised the words. Um, which basically just means they learnt the songs. <laughs> <laughs> they moved back to Tulsa in 1989. The brothers would harmonise and sing Amen at the dinner table. I don't know if that is a song or if that's just them singing the word Amen. Amen. Um, harmonising and singing around the house was actually just the beginning for them, <laughs> obviously, as we're about to find out. <laughs> So starting a band might have been an obvious progression for the Hanson brothers, but they say it all began at a Christmas party held by Walker's Oil Company. The whole Hanson family attended. I'm I'm getting definite Dallas vibes here. (laughs) Oh, yes, with Stetsons and stuff. Thing is, they're in Oklahoma, not in Texas. Still still getting it. (laughs) Really Definitely a lot of shoulder pad action going on. Oil barons. Yeah, exactly. The oil baron ball, which was always the big thing each season (laughs) in Dallas, was when they went to the oil barons ball. Oh, God. So good. Pray continue. So the whole Hanson family attended this Christmas party and Isaac, Taylor and Zach, who were 11, 8 and 6 at the time, do went you, up and... I'm just... Do you think when they sent that invite, so everyone's invited to the company party this year, um, please <laughs> we haven't feel got free, any entertainment. Please feel free to bring your family until they checked and they were kind of like, that's okay, so uh, John and Deborah are coming with their one and um, um, <laughs> Martha and Dale, they haven't got any children and oh, fucking hell. <laughs> the Hansons. <laughs> Hansons are coming, there's nine of them. Oh, brilliant. How did they get places? They must have had like minibus. an RV or something. They must have had a minibus. Yeah. <laughs> or a hearse so... where they'd put seats along the... Oh, We're still sure. quite small at this point. Mm. You know who'd know? Jennifer. I'll message Jennifer and say... Okay. Okay, you carry on. (laughs) How did they transport themselves? (laughs) So Isaac, Taylor and Zach, who, as I said, they're 11, 8 and 6, they went up and sang in front of everyone a cappella and entertained the entire room. Uh, Soon they realised they loved performing in front of an audience, so their mum would get them gigs at schools and restaurants and anywhere else she could book them. They would all put on a pair of blue jeans, white shirts and denim jackets, no no Stetsons, and snap their fingers and sing their favourite 50s and 60s songs. Everyone thought they were good, but no one ever said, hey, they should have a record deal. So they were never really massive in Tulsa. Well, 
not exactly. Sometimes they would go out and they would have preteen girls waiting to meet them <laughs> after a show and get their autographs. And they would always stay and sign autographs and chat for a while. You can just imagine these really little kids going, yeah, I'll come and chat with these girls and sign their arms and shit. <laughs> their autograph books. <laughs> Hanson started writing their own songs. And they wrote songs dedicated for their little sisters and their little brother. Uh, they wrote a song for Jessica called Funny Bunny. For Avery, a rap song called Baby Avy. And their littlest brother, they wrote a song called Mackie Baby. Isaac had written his first song when he was in third grade. And it was called Rain Falling Down. When Walker and Diana would go out at night, they would leave explicit instructions for their sons to get the chores done so you know washing the dishes and hoovering the carpet and stuff but when they came back the parents would return to a sink full of dishes and an unhoovered carpet but the boys would have spent their time writing a new song and although most parents might have been annoyed walker and diana weren't they were like okay cool come sing us your new song you just they ignore were... all the instructions you've ever been given <laughs> Yeah, so definitely some discipline problems going on in this household. Yeah, I, well, I do you know I kind or, of feel like I'm making the little kids like if you're like the three oldest brothers, you'd be making Avery and Funny Bunny or whatever they're called and Zoe. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> do all the chores. <laughs> exactly, Funny Bunny. <laughs> Oh, their parents were very supportive in many ways. Diana would send out letters to everyone who had been at a Hanson Brothers concert and told them where they were going to perform next. She even sold T-shirts to fans at shows. Like, Diana was on board here. She was getting those merch stands up. Or Diana understood that the fangirls need something to feed into. Like There we go. Like, you need... You can't just go and see the show. You have to prove that you went to see the show. And... Yeah. That's so true. Is that what merch is for? Proving you were there? Yeah. Oh. In 1994, they decided to take a step up with their music and they all picked up instruments. So they'd all previously taken piano lessons. Um, um, Taylor got hold of his friend's keyboards. Isaac went to a nearby pawn shop and got hold of a guitar. <laughs> and then Zach was not pawn. Come on. And Zach was left with the drums. But before they started, they needed a manager or an agent or someone to represent them. Diana. So, Diana. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm, she's literally right there. How rude for you not even to think of it. Diana was busy with four other kids, mate. <laughs> yeah, so, fair point, fair point. <laughs> so they decided that they were all going to go off to Austin, Texas, home of the Cowboys, um, because the South by Southwest convention was on. South by so, Southwest? That old? Yeah. I know, amazing isn't it yeah. so that was on, there's always lots and lots of agents and managers looking for talented singers and bands and the Hanson Brothers happened across a chap called Christopher Sabek Sabek, S-A-B-E-C and um, they had said to him he, he was a manager and they said can we sing for you so they rock up with their boombox and start singing and dancing and his reaction was like wow, where are your parents and literally, it was that easy. They had a manager. So at this point, they were 13, 11 and 8. God. I know. <laughs> I don't remember what I was doing when I was 8. Definitely wasn't yeah. singing for someone at South by Southwest and getting a record contract. It, well, they're not, they haven't got a record contract yet. But, but definitely Christopher... closer to a record contract than I was at 8. <laughs> 
So Christopher started shopping them around to several record companies, but they were all dismissed them as being a novelty or a fraud. That didn't slow them down. They went into a studio and with some financial help from their kind, loving parents, they recorded their first album, Boomerang. Boomerang was released in 1995. It was mostly filled with R&B songs and included a Jackson 5 cover. And one of the songs also sampled I'll Be There by the Jackson 5. But unfortunately, that did not appeal to record companies. White kids doing R&B was not their idea of a big hit. In um, 1996, they recorded a song called... No. Start again. In 1996, they recorded their second album on their own label. This one was called Umbop. It included the singles Umbop, Thinking of You and With You in Your Dreams. This album caught the attention of Mercury Records A&R guy Steve Greenberg, who heard the album but didn't really believe it. So other record companies had already dismissed the band as a fraud. And this guy, Steve Greenberg, at Mercury thought there must be some adults involved or like the adults had written the songs or produced mm. the album because it was really sorry because it was really polished and the songs had really like mature lyrics for kids of their age so he decided he was going to go and see for himself Hanson was performing at the in fact I think they went by the Hanson brothers at this point but they were performing at the Wisconsin State Fair and Steve was surprised to see that they played their instruments as well live as they did on their album the only adults he saw was Diana who was selling t-shirts and (laughs) Walker who was loading their equipment fucking hell sorry In the podcast Edge of Fame, head of Mercury Records, Danny Goldberg, later said of Walker Hansen that the Hansen parents always asked the guys what they wanted to do and he didn't have a bad thing to say about them. The parents were incredibly supportive. Their church was less happy because they, the boys wanted to sing rock and roll rather than gospel and they were like, well, why don't they come and sing in church? Like, why are they going to sing, like, rock and roll music? This isn't, Mm. you know as Christian as maybe we would like it to be. Very similar again to the Jonas story, isn't it? Right. That's where their problems came about. But more so for them because their dad was a minister. Yes. And Hanson have never really been massively into talking about their religion. Mm. They talk about how they were church going. They felt it was important to have faith and values, etc. as kids, but they didn't wear promise rings. Mm. So Hanson were signed almost immediately by Mercury Records and they moved to LA to start recording their third album, Middle of Nowhere, which actually is recognised as their debut studio album and the first to be released on a major label. So we're at 1997 now and the music landscape in the US was changing. The Spice Girls were unleashed on America. and Sorry, then the first. America. <laughs> and then the first big hits from some little artists called Backstreet Boys, In Sync, 98 Degrees, and Britney Spears. Boy bands were big and were making it. MTV had just started TRL, where audiences would call in and request the songs or videos that they wanted to see, which really did a lot to explode Backstreet Boys and In Sync. Hanson often got lumped in with this sugary pop, as it's been 
labelled by the Edge of Fame podcast. Um, True, they were boys in a band, but they were not the same. They wrote their songs, played their instruments, and they had no stylist. I mean, obviously, for the purposes of this podcast, we've discussed this. (laughs) Yeah. And how our definition of a boy band is a bit broader. It's who they appeal to. Yeah. Mainly pivots on, you know, their audience and and who's putting their the coinage into the band exactly and we've had handsome fans in the past approach us on social media and give us shit about how handsome are not a boy band but if you listen to the podcast you'd understand why we're calling them a boy (laughs) band their debut album went multi-platinum total worldwide sales were over 10 million copies and this was this was thanks to the lead single Middle of Nowhere was released on the 6th of May 1997 and this was declared to be Hanson Day by Tulsa's then governor and many fans still recognise this date as Hanson Day. So singles released from Middle of Nowhere were Mbop as the lead single which was released in April 97, Where's the Love released September 97, I Will Come to You released November 97 and Weird released... March 98, oh, and one more, Thinking of You, which was released July 98. Mbop did quite well. It went to to number one in 27 countries, including the UK, US, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, Germany, etc., etc. And it was nominated for two Grammys. In an August 2004 interview with Song Facts, Zach Hansen explained the song's origins. He said... That song started out really as the background part for another song. We were making our first independent album and we were trying to come up with a background part. We started singing a slightly different incarnation of what is now the chorus of Mbop. That sort of stuck in our heads and never really worked as a background part. And over a couple of years, that piece really had stuck in our heads and we crafted the rest of the song, the verses and the bridge and so on. What that song talks about is you've got to hold on to the things that really matter. Mbop represents a frame of time or the futility of life. Things are going to be gone, whether it's your age and your youth or maybe the money you have or whatever it is. And all that's going to be left are the people you've nurtured and have really built to be your backbone and your support system. The lyrics weren't inspired by one artist in particular. The first music we got into was 50s and 60s music. If anything, Mbop was inspired by the Beach Boys and vocal groups of that era, using your voice as almost a doo-wop kind of thing. It was something we almost stumbled upon. You couldn't really go anywhere in 97, could you, without hearing that song? It's really about losing friends and feeling different, which is an unusual concept for young kids to be singing about, which I guess is why the record label were like, this is not written by these kids. This is a a grown-up song or a grown-up album. A documentary was released called Tulsa, Tokyo and the Middle of Nowhere, I think on VHS only, and then a Christmas album. They fucking love a Christmas album, (laughs) which was called... this This is a great title. It was called Snowed In. A fan club magazine called MOE, which was an acronym of Middle of Nowhere, middle of nowhere middle of everywhere was launched <laughs> and ran for 12 episodes an official biography was written by their friends and it hit number nine on the new york times bestsellers list Whoa. for non-fiction 
They were nominated also for the Best New Artist Grammy in 1998, along with the two nominations for Umbop, which were for Record of the Year and Best Pop Performance by a duo or group with vocals. For those who are interested, as you know I always am, the winner of Record of the Year that year was... My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. Hanson appeared on Saturday Night Live with Will Ferrell and Helen Hunt. They had an appearance on the Oprah Winfrey show. I mean, they were huge. Yeah, they were massive. They were huge. Mercury Records wanted to capitalise on the success and have them write another album quickly. But Hanson wanted to go on the road. They wanted to play music. It was more important for them at that time. But the label knew how fickle the industry could be or was and how quickly things could change with artists being hot one minute and gone the next. It was three years before Hanson's next album was released. And Danny Goldberg, who was the head of uh, Mercury Records at the time, said he regretted this. He's very open, Danny Goldberg, in saying, of course, from his own self-interest, he wanted to make money and it would have made more commercial sense to get the second album out quicker. Uh, he wasn't, so he wasn't being purely objective in encouraging them to do that. But he was also acting in their interest. Um, it was in everyone's interest for them to be successful, of course, but they wouldn't do it. They had their own timeline Um and the label clearly didn't force them. But I guess when you're that young, you don't really get it in the same way when they're saying we need another album so that we can get more commercial success. And they're mm. like, we just want to play music to fans. So, but Danny Goldberg, he insists he was right. In the summer of 98, Hanson went on tour. The tour was called the Albertane Tour. There was a live album of this tour released and a documentary called The Road to Albertane. Does anyone out there, by the way, have these two documentaries? So The Road to Albertane and the Tulsa, Tokyo, Middle of Nowhere, because I couldn't find them complete on the internet. So I wonder if they were VHS releases only back then. People must have them. Someone. Yeah. We have a lot of handsome people that, that Jen brought us, actually, um, originally. So I bet, yeah, we can. Yeah, I bet there are people out there with these documentaries who can help us out. So during this tour... Hanson was still writing songs and creating demos for what would become their next album. The next album was called This Time Around. Immediately prior to its release in May 2000, Mercury Records merged with Island Def Jam Records and there was limited funding for promo and therefore sales were low and the label ultimately pulled the funding for the Hanson tour. The album failed to crack the top 20 and the guys had to self-fund their tour for this album, which ran throughout that summer. Singles from this time around were If Only, which was released in April 2000 as the lead single, which was outside the US. This time around, which was released in April 2000 as the lead single within the US and Canada only. And then Save Me, which was released in July 2000. If only reached number 15 in the UK and this time around got to number 20 in the US. Zach said later the album was deeply damaged during the promotional cycle. In the merger, all their former contacts were gone. So Danny Goldberg, who was the head, he was gone. Steve Greenberg, the A&I guy, he was gone. There was only one publicist that they knew remaining. The new execs rejected almost everything Hanson produced and they said this was the lowest point of their careers. So 
The new head of A&R at Island Def Jam Records was Jeff Fenster and they needed approval from him on all their new tracks. They recorded demos to play to Fenster and they handed him four songs. He told them to go away and try some co-writing, which they did. So in the documentary Strong Enough to Break, they're seen co-writing with Matthew Sweet, who's impressed at how well the guys write together. So it's early 2001, they're writing hard. He goes in to co-write with them and he's like, oh, I've never been in a session where the guys all agree so quickly on the direction of the music and the lyrics, etc. There was a lack of belief from Island Def Jam or Jeff Fenster that Hanson were ready, but they decided they were going to introduce them to some producers, uh, one of whom they ended up really liking, who was called Bob Marlette. They did feel, though, that Bob Marlette had been sent as a messenger from Island Def Jam and was just kind of relaying info from the label. And then Jeff Fenster came back to them and said, and then Jeff Fenster came back to them again and said he just wanted to hear good songs. He wasn't worried about production. So why introduce them to the producers in the first place? Mm. So like Fenster, he's kind of dicking them around a bit. He was dicking them around. So it just gets worse and worse and worse. So he wasn't convinced that Hanson songs would be played on the radio. So he wanted them to have a different sound. But how can you make a band have a different sound to how they sound? Yeah. And like, the sound that's just... made them successful. Because the, what you're then doing is you're taking all the people that have liked their sound up until now and, yeah. and alienating them. Yeah. And and fangirls are great. They, they you know they'll stay loyal to their boy band but the yeah. you're going to lose off the you know the the people that are barely hanging on yeah well the band wanted to write, record an album but they were being pushed for one big hit you know like mm. mbop the guys didn't understand why jeff fenster didn't get their music and then zach who remembers the youngest one said we're on a rap label with the creators of Britney Spears and the Backstreet Boys as our A&R guy, what the heck do you expect? This is what we imagine the worst experience of our lives. And he had a point. They continued to write and thought they would take the record to Fenster and he would get it once it was complete. In May 2001, they decided to fly to Paris for a songwriting holiday. And while they were there, they wrote with Carol King and Mark Hudson. Uh, anyone who doesn't know Mark Hudson, he's worked with Aerosmith, Ringo Starr, AJ McLean, JC Chazay, Bon Jovi. Like massive, massive artists he's written and produced. And he's also, just as a side note, Kate Hudson and Oliver Hudson's uncle. <laughs> um they were confident during this writing session they'd come up with the songs that the label liked. After 23 demos, they flew to New York for a meeting with the label to get sign-off because they decided that they wanted Greg Wells as their producer. So we're now August 2001. They had finished three songs with Greg. Jeff Fenster didn't like them. He liked parts of them, but... Again, in Strong Enough to Break, there's a moment where they're on the phone with him, the three of them, and Jeff Fenster's, give, Jeff Fenster's giving his feedback. And um, all three Hanson guys are like giving the cell phone their middle fingers. They're so angry. Uh, Taylor tells him that they're just completely enraged. They believe they have 23 killer songs. And he just replies, but you don't have an album. He wants them to go ahead and work with John Shanks. But they want Greg. 
He's then suggesting another producer, Glenn Ballard, who has come to him and said that he thinks that Hanson should start from scratch. So all <laughs> these songs they've written, they've been to write with Carol King, etc., etc. They should just start from scratch because he didn't believe it was a step forward artistically. So then Taylor tries to understand by saying, can you tell me what you're looking for? Are you looking for something more pop or rock? Or are we not doing something like this? Or do you want it to sound like that? What do you want? And he just doesn't give him an answer. He (laughs) just like fobs them off with some bullshit. And they're so frustrated. In the end, Fenster just agrees that they can work with Greg and towards what some non-specific goal to produce more music he doesn't like yeah i mean or, it's or just to put together an album that they're not going to be behind so they're not going to promote they're not going to give them people to try and get them airplay or tv yeah. or yeah yeah exactly right so just again as a side note greg wells he went on to produce with adele mm. in the end hansen split with the label after three years of battling the label had rejected 80 songs. Fucking hell. 80 songs. They needed more creative freedom. So they signed with new management and they set up their own label, which was called 3CG Records, which was Three Car Garage being the building that they had been, they had used as a studio when they were first, you know, recording music at eight years old. In 2002, Taylor married his wife, Natalie. Oh. Um, Hanson went on an acoustic tour in 2003 before their third album, Underneath, came out in April 2004 on their own label. The album album debuted at number one on the Billboard Top Independent Albums chart and number 25 on the Billboard 200 album chart, making Underneath one of the most successful self-released albums of all time. Yes, Hanson. Go Yeah. Go fuck yourself, <laughs> Jeff Fenster. <laughs> Singles from underneath were Penny and Me. Do you know that one? That We've talked about that one before, haven't we? Mm. Yeah. It's a really well-known one, that one. Yeah. So that came out as the lead single March 2004. Someone in February 2005. Lost Without Each Other in March 2005. And Crazy Beautiful in August 2005. Penny and Me peaked at number two in the US and number 10 in the UK. The following year, they released their second live album, The Best of Hanson, Live and Electric. In 2006, Isaac married his wife, Nicole, who he had spotted in New Orleans in 2003 at a Hanson gig. (laughs) And the same year, Zach married his wife, Kate. On January the 15th, 2007, Hanson released the first episode of their documentary, Taking the Walk, detailing production of the studio album. This studio album being called The Walk. They also released the band's documentary Strong Enough to Break, which was the one I was just talking about. It's all on YouTube. You can go watch it. The one where Jeff Fencer gets outed as a dick. (laughs) Basically. It's funny, though, because they insert bits of them talking like from 2007. So at the very beginning of each episode, they say, you know, this is how we felt about it and this is how we feel about it, blah, 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 blah. And then they play the episode. It's actually really well done. Mm -hmm. Is it called Taking the Walk? Strong Enough to Break. Okay. In March 2007, Hanson began a preview tour to promote their fourth album, The Walk, and give fans a taste of their recent work. The Walk, which is Hanson's second studio album with their own label and fourth overall, was released in the US, uh, Mexico and Canada 
in July that year. It was released in Japan in February 2008 and in the UK in April 2008. The Walk was a heavier album and only reached number 56 in the US and 83 in the UK album charts. Two singles were released from this album, Great Divide in November 2006 and Go in April 2007. On May the 6th, 2007 do you remember what may the 6th is hanson day correct so it's the 10th <laughs> anniversary of hanson day the band re-recorded their first major label album middle of nowhere at the blank slate bar in their hometown of tulsa oklahoma they invited fan club members causing hundreds to fly to oklahoma for the acoustic event Hansa played concerts in the summer of 2007 supporting release of The Walk um, and the record Middle of Nowhere Acoustic was released at the end of that year exclusively on Hansen.net. During The Walk tour, they had to suspend dates after Isaac underwent life-saving surgery for a pulmonary embolism. Jesus. Doctors treated his condition by relieving blood flow restrictions caused by excess chest muscle and scar tissue from the repetitive motions of guitar playing. What the fuck? <laughs> the, the tour resumed with Midwest and East Coast dates March through May 2008, and they wrapped up the second leg of the walk tour after playing 20 concerts in four weeks. Oh, shit. <laughs> um... Later on in 2008, the guys moved from New York back to Tulsa because they didn't want to lose who they were, they said. They, they I don't know if they rented or they bought a big, um, like a big warehouse in Tulsa, which was dubbed Hanson HQ. So they had a studio in there. They had their merchandise was produced from there. And, you know, they've always got different desks for different staff to be doing various oh of course she was (laughs) i don't know but i'm sure she was involved they were at this point also offered a reality tv show by a and e which they turned down they said at first they were like oh this sounds really good but then they realized that it was going to be scripted to kind of ignite drama as reality tv usually Mm. is um on a and e is yeah yeah (laughs) but they still get offers for reality tv now apparently but they've always wanted to keep their private lives private danny goldberg who was the former head of mercury records also notes that the family had really really strong bonds that there was no question because he said Taylor would have been an incredible solo artist. They reckon he could have gone on and rivaled like JT and other artists like that, but he just would never ditch his brothers. Um, they've got a really, really deep loyalty. Hear that, Jonas? Is... Hear that, Jonas? <laughs> <laughs> uh, in June 2009, Hanson completed the album Shout It Out and planned to release it in June the following year. They also announced they would be co-headlining a tour with Hello Goodbye. Do you know this this band, Hello Goodbye? No, me either. The tour started in Hanson's hometown of Tulsa, Oklahoma, in September 2009 and went through to November the same year. They then released a five-song EP titled Stand Up, Stand Up that was available at shows and on the band's official website. The tracks were acoustic versions of four new Hanson songs, plus the album version of Worlds on Fire. It was released worldwide on iTunes on December the 8th, 2009. Now, the next bit is amazing. They, in April 2010, 
they played five consecutive concerts at New York's Gramercy Theatre. Each concert featured one of the band's four previous albums in its entirety and the premiere of their upcoming spring 2010 release. Dubbed Five of Five, they began with the performance of their debut album, Middle of Nowhere, on the first night, April 26. And then they moved on to 2000, this time around on April 27. Underneath on April 28, The Walk on April 29. And then on April 30, they unveiled their new album, Shout It Out. The concert series was also streamed live on their official website, Hanson.net, and included an exclusive backstage pass stream for fan club members. Now, I love this idea and I think we need to pitch it maybe for, hey, I don't know, an sync reunion. Yes. Like, <laughs> come on, this would be fucking great. Yeah. Just hire a theatre for a week. But just do and- it out of nowhere as well. Like, seriously, yes. like, it's like, don't let anyone know that you're recording an album and then out of nowhere announce a series yeah. of dates. For the following week. Yeah, and then like, do them, album, album, and then boom. I think it's isn't. a really, really good idea. I think it, it's a good PR thing. <laughs> but, you know, Hanson did it first. So in June 2010... There's nothing wrong with boy band borrowing from boy band. It's literally been the entire story of boy band since the 1960s. <laughs> so boy band can borrow from another boy band. This is why all boy bands go through a white outfit phase. Yes, thank it's you. so true. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so in June 2010, their fifth studio record was released. Shout It Out debuted at number 30 on the Billboard 200, number two on the indie chart and number 16 on the digital chart. Uh, also in June, they did a free concert at the South Street Seaport in New York City, which rather incongruously ended in a riot after an estimated 20,000 fans showed up at a venue which could only accommodate about 10,000. Um, Drake was also on the bill for that event as well. Hanson toured Shout It Out from July 2010 to November 2010. Throughout the tour, they were broadcasting live streams from their website and the footage included introducing the local musician winners of their opening band contest, a few full-length concerts and walks with fans to fight AIDS and poverty in Africa for their Take the Walk campaign. Now, they do a lot of charity work for mostly fighting AIDS and poverty in Africa, which is wicked. Mm. Singles from the album were Thinking About Something, which was released in April 2010, and Give a Little, which was released in April 2011. Give a Little reached number 40 in the US, making it the first top 40 hit for the band since their 2000 single, If Only. The band resumed their touring activity in September 2011. The US Musical Ride Tour lasted from September the 4th to November the 1st, and then from November the 6th, they went to San Paolo, Brazil and they toured around Latin America and then went on to Europe early to in order to promote their Shout It Out album internationally. In early 2012 they toured Canada with Carly Rae Jepsen and then later that year they took the Shout It Out world tour to the Philippines and Australia. I love it when they call things a world tour and then they go to two places it's <laughs> wicked. <laughs> in 2012 they started recording their sixth album Anthem. This remember this is their sixth album total well the sixth out mm. al- major album but the eighth album yeah right 
This was released in June 2013 and charted at number 22 on the US Billboard 200, making it their eighth album to reach the top 40 of the Billboard 200. Eighth, with their live albums and Christmas albums and everything else. The album also peaked at number five on the US Independent Albums chart. The first single was Get the Girl Back, which was released on April the 9th, 2013. Then they stopped. The band had been together for 20 years and they were burnt out. At this point, they had nine children between the three of them. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> In 2013, they released a beer called Mm Hops. <laughs> Her Jumping forward to 2016, Hansen sang their hit Mbop on the US TV show Greatest Hits. Now, I think I've watched this uh, video about 50 times. Go and find it on YouTube. It's incredible. Their harmonies are a thing of beauty. Like, this song in their grown-up voices is glorious. And it's a really good example of the joy that music can bring us. Like, just, like, the noise these three men make with their voices is just amazing Mm. it is it just it's so pleasing anyway uh on march the 16th 27 elvis wants to come in hang on (laughs) is it it nearly your dinner time you can come in come on then um march 16th 2017 hansen announced their 25th anniversary tour called middle of everywhere 25th anniversary tour to celebrate the band's first signed album release Hansen then released their second Christmas album, Finally It's Christmas, on October the 27th, 2017. Um, They performed a Finally It's Christmas special as well, which uh, can also be found on YouTube. In July 2018, the following year, Hansen announced a symphonic tour and accompanying album titled String Theory. The tour began in August 2018, while the album was released on November the 9th, 2018. Now, this is the show that came to London last year that we couldn't make it. No, it was at the the Royal Festival Hall. Mm. Yeah, String Theory. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't done our String Theory for Hanson yet. So, okay. (laughs) Uh, On September the 13th, 2019, Hanson announced their wintry mix tour in North America featuring Paul McDonald and Joshua and the Holy Rollers, led by the youngest Hanson brother, Mac Hanson. After Zach's motorcycle accident in October 2019, Dash Hutton was announced as being the substitute drummer for the tour. So Zach wrote on Instagram and the band website, Wednesday, I was involved in a wreck on my motorcycle while preparing for an upcoming cross-country ride. Though I ended up with three broken ribs, a broken collarbone and a cracked scapula, Nothing is injured that won't heal with a little rest and time and a healthy dose of gaming. Zach Hansen. So man of still. Yeah, that kind of brings us to date. I mean, like I said, they do a lot of charity work. The Hansen family continues. So Isaac and Nicole have three children. They have Clark Everett Hansen, because, you know, they can't go by their first name, who was born in 2007. James Monroe Hansen, 2008, and Nina Odette Hansen, who was born in 2014. Taylor and Natalie have six children. Fuck. Ezra Hansen, born in 2002. Penny, born April 20, no, 2005. River Samuel, born September 2006. Vigo Moriah, born December 2008. 
Wilhelmina Jane Willer, well, she goes by Willa, October 2012, and Claude Indiana Emmanuel, born December 2018. And then Zach and Kate have four children. John Ira, who's known as Shepherd, who was born in 2008. Junior Rosa Ruth, born in 2010. George Abraham Walker, born in 2013. And Mary Lucille Diana, born August 2016. 13. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, is it 13? Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Because one was born right at the end of 2018. Yes, yeah, so they are 13 children. Zach holds the record for the youngest songwriter. For the most children, what? (laughs) No, that's Taylor. (laughs) Zach holds the record for the youngest songwriter to be nominated for a Grammy at age 12 years and 126 days. And he's the fourth youngest Grammy nominee of all time, beating out our mates Mac Daddy and Daddy Mac of Criss Cross and, Mm -hmm. um, and the former lead singer of the Jacksons. Danny Goldberg says, Hanson beat the system. They put their personal happiness first. They could have earned more money, but other things were more important to them and they made it work for them the best they could given their own values and desires. So that is the story of Hanson. I think I'd like Hanson. So mm. Jen, um, one of my very good friends, Jen, goes, they do um, their own version of the cruise every year, which is called Back to the Island. So it's kind mm. of a resort holiday thing. I've one of these, you know, hot Caribbean, lots of events for fans. And um, I, I know that that, like the new kids stuff, sells out really, really quickly. And it always looks like a massive amount of fun. But I also know that they have really good relationships with their fans. Like they, yeah. they're appreciative of who put them where they are and the fact that they're, success continues because of they, they've had these loyal people for 25 plus years now so yeah i mean it's astonishing really to think how many years they've been going and they're still younger than us. <laughs> right but also their person given that when they went through the whole thing with mercury they could have just jacked it all it that must have been so disheartening and, and well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't for them to just be having no backing and no one, no yeah. support and help in continuing. That they could it have wasn't Mercury. It was it was Island Def Jam Sorry. who had come in. Yeah, it's Mercury they went to. Um, but they could have just jacked it in and gone off and worked in, you know, behind yeah. a bar. Or, yeah, you know, playing as a session musician in Vegas or something like they could have. The it was like there was a, a program to bring about the end of Hanson and they fought mm. against it and I love that. They didn't have it easy. They didn't have it easy. You know, they took three years to put out their second major album. They were encouraged to do it quicker by Mercury. Mercury, I mean, for Danny Goldberg, who says, you know, it, it wasn't all all about them. It was about commercial success. But they let them do it. That I mean, they were probably signed to him for a number of albums anyway, but they let them take three years to go off, do their thing. They knew they weren't going to make as much money allowing them to do that. But then, of course, by the time they came to do their third album, the merger had happened. And Zach said it when he said, we know we're on a rap label. Our A&R guy is the Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears guy. Like, how the fuck are we going to get yeah. this album made? There's no one here that gets us. No one gets us. No one likes our music. No one understands what our our thing is. And they were trying so hard to please these people and they just couldn't fucking do it. They did everything they were told to do and everything that was asked of them and they just couldn't fucking get what they wanted. 
it was so it was such a shame so in the end i think them parting ways was the right decision they do also feel like they've always been like an album band rather than a singles band yeah that you need to listen to the complete thing rather than because whenever you say hands to someone they'll put out mbop Mm. and they're they're not they haven't they're not as 25 plus years or 27 now 28 years now yeah you don't get a road of that much success off the back of fans liking one single so there must be a a lot more depth to their catalogue so yeah I'd agree that they have to be an album band okay so we'll point them and we'll be back after this okay Okay, how did Hanson get on so how let's do the top 20 okay so this is the top 20 of the ultimate boy band chart at number 20 we have got v mm-hmm. uh, at number 19 my favorites the neutrons at number 18 journey south 17 is big fun 16 union j and at number 15 lfo 14 eyc 13 yeah. bb mac at number 12 is damage 11 is human nature going into the top 10 at number 10 another level nine pj and duncan at number eight crisscross seven bros and at number six is five. Oh, oh, five have been knocked down <laughs> at number five the jonas brothers oh my god oh at, my god at number four busted <gasps> at number three is this week's boy band of the week hansen at wow. two the bay city rollers and at number one mcfly Oh my god! I was going to say the majority of their points come from the fact that they've been together for so long without a break. Yeah, yeah. So that you know they they, they haven't had a hiatus or like no. continued to a good chunk I mean, of their points come from that. And also their songwriting. They, they write their songs. They yeah, play their instruments. Yeah. You know, yeah, they do it all themselves. So my a lot, god! A lot of strength in that. So yeah, number three, handsome. That's it. Thank you once again for joining us on I'm With The Boy Band, the ultimate boy band podcast. You <laughs> can find us on Twitter at The Boy Band Pod. We're on Instagram at I'm With The Boy Band. We have a Facebook group. Just search for I'm With The Boy Band and join the group. Come and have a chat with us. And we are also on Patreon. If you like our content and would like to support us from as little as $2 a month, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash boyband where there will be exclusive content heading your way. Or you can email us at theboybandpod at gmail.com. We will be back very soon with another boyband story. Um, and we will see if anyone can knock McFly off the top of the ultimate boy band chart. But remember, it's not the boy band that falls at the top of our chart that is the ultimate boy band. It's the one that was there for you when you needed the most. And got you from there to here. Boy band you later. Bye.